from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. We read this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until all he could pay, until he could pay all the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called that servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, please. Father, I reckon that there are some scenarios, there are some names, that are, there are some relationships that are passing through our thoughts in our minds right now. And I, I reckon there is some conviction that is also happening right now when we have seen ourselves in that portrayal of the ungrateful servant. Because we have not forgiven the way that we have been forgiven. We have harbored bitterness. We have demanded repayment. And even after that, continue in our bitterness and unforgiveness. Lord, I believe that this is the work of your Holy Spirit. He is the one who convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. So, Father, we ask that your spirit would continue to work as uncomfortable as it might be and even as offensive as it might be. We pray that your spirit would have reign in this place. 
and do what he will in our hearts. We ask you to anoint the words of our pastor today as he has studied well and prepared for this message. And then we pray that your spirit will do his work in bringing it home to each of our hearts and we will understand the precious gift of forgiveness which we have received from you in abundance and thereby will be able and willing to extend that same forgiveness to those around us who have harmed us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. To forgive seven times, genuinely to forgive, would mean making the best of the wrong that has been done to us, would mean repaying evil with good. It means accepting the other person as if that person had always been our dearest friend. No small feat. Indeed, it is what we tend to call forgiving and forgetting. But then genuinely forgiving out of pure love. Love that simply refuses to turn the other person loose and instead insists on continuing to support that person. That is certainly no small feat. But this is one of those things we learned last week is easier said than done. Uh, we've been been getting a lot of different questions from folks uh, just about how to wrestle with this whole forgiveness concept in real life. And so I wanted to take a moment before we dive into the text today to address three themes of questions that I got this week. And I am not going to give you a specific answer for your specific case. All of these things have a thousand ways to spin it. But I'm hoping that in these answers I can give you direction that you can use to kind of wrestle through uh, some of these things if you're wrestling with these questions in your own life. And so three questions. Question number one is this. Uh, Somebody said something to me this week like, I did something wrong a long time ago and nobody knows that I did it. It's eating away at me. Do I need to confess? I don't wanna ruin the relationship. I think a lot of us have experienced something like that. You know, one of the themes that I I wanna talk about from the texts of scripture each week is this idea that forgiveness horizontally, forgiving our brothers and sisters, should represent in some way our forgiveness vertically with the Lord. And so with the Lord, when we've got hidden sins, we call it unconfessed sins, things that we have not yet brought before him. And as Christians, we bring that out into the open so that God can heal our relationship. I would say that there's something about confessing unconfessed, even unknown sins horizontally as well, and yet that's something that requires wisdom and grace and and all those things. And so if that's you, talk to somebody that you trust who's a believer and say, hey, there's this thing that's holding me back that this person doesn't know, but it's hurting our relationship, but I don't wanna ruin it. Should I confess it? Should I come clean and, and see what they say? That's question number one. Question number two is do we have to forgive people who don't repent? You know, last week, uh, Jesus had this teaching, and he said, if someone sins, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. And so then the question becomes this one. Well, what if they say, yeah, I agree to disagree on this one, right? So this is, the tension is in, in the text of Scripture. On one hand, as believers, God calls us to forgive everyone who wrongs us. Kind of like we talked about at Trader Joe's last week, right? Somebody takes your parking space, I forgive you, right? We don't have to have a reconciling conversation. We need to hug. Just forgive them. Forgive, forgive, forgive generously, 
And yet in Matthew 18, and in the passage we studied last week, there's this idea of a forgiveness that fully fleshed out restores relationships. And I think a lot of times relationships cannot fully heal unless the other person repents of their sin and comes clean so that reconciliation can happen. And so we're still on the hook for letting them off the hook, but I think a lot of times real, the fruit of forgiveness cannot happen until the person says, you're right, I'm sorry, right? And so two sides to that one. Third question, this one is a a deep one, kind of came out of this 77 times forgiveness concept. How does forgiveness work for abusive systems? Is forgiveness a synonym for acceptance? This idea of forgiving someone 77 times sounds really beautiful unless you think about the the person who's a victim of domestic violence or the person who's in an abusive work culture or wherever you might be where someone just keeps coming against you over and over again. You're like, as a Christian, I just take it and take it and take it. And one concept I introduced a little last week that I'll reintroduce right now is that forgiveness is not necessarily opposed to boundaries. If someone was stealing from you time and time and time again, and you kept forgiving them time and time and time again, of course, keep forgiving the thief, but at some point you'd have a hard conversation and say, you know what, I think I need to have my keys to my house back, right? Because I don't feel like we're in a spot where I can trust you with some vulnerability right now, right? And I think with systems that perpetuate violence or perpetuate sin, the boundary issue becomes a big one. Of, of course, we release someone of their debt, we walk away, And yet without that real repentance and the fruit of repentance that they're changing in their life, we might realize, you know what? I I think I might need to forgive you from over here. And we might need to have a hard conversation or maybe you just escape, but you just say, you need to get some help. And maybe on the other side of recovery, down the road, we can talk about reconciling. But for now, I forgive you, but you gotta figure out your stuff because this vulnerability thing isn't working. So forgiveness is not necessarily opposed to boundaries. So if any of you are dealing with any of those three things, you just realized I did not give you an answer that is completely sufficient, but hopefully I gave you a direction to wrestle as you wrestle with how the gospel and the Bible and the forgiveness depicted therein works out in real life. Like Randy said, we're talking about generous forgiveness today from Matthew chapter 18. So if you haven't turned there yet, Turn to Matthew 18 right now. And once you get there, I want you to pause for a moment and I want you to imagine a world of unlimited forgiveness. What would a world look like where forgiveness rained down from the heavens at every turn, at every corner, in every instance, forgiveness always won? It's a world where when you're driving down the freeway and someone does cut you off and you want to honk your horn or scream at them or build up rage, instead you just yell, I forgive you! And they wave or something in their rearview mirror, you know, but but you've released them, you're fine. It's a world where someone still might talk about you behind your back, but but when they do, you you release them. You say, you know what, I've forgiven that person, and then you go have a conversation. Say, hey, just so you know, I forgave you. But, but I heard that you were talking about me and that hurt me, right? and, and maybe they say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry, or no, 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 it's like, no, no, I forgave you, it's, it's fine, let's talk about it, it's just, I wanna make sure that we're okay, and you start talking about that, and your relationship becomes stronger as a result. This is the world of unlimited forgiveness. It's a beautiful world. It's the world that Jesus kind of painted this picture of 70 times seven forgiveness. Forgiveness, 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 just always forgive. It's a world that we love in our minds, but somewhere in our heart, the cynic in us says, 
you know that world's not a real world, right? You know, I was thinking about, uh, about my favorite not real philosopher. This was a character on Saturday Night Live called Jack Handy. And this is his quote on a, a naive world like that. He says, I imagine a world without war, a world without hate. And I imagine us attacking that world because they'd never expect it, right? And that's kind of how I feel about the world of forgiveness. It's, it's a beautiful world. And we can totally decimate and take advantage of those naive forgiving people because forgiving people a lot of times can get walked all over, right? This might be one of the reasons that, that you have a hard time forgiving is you don't want to be a doormat. You don't want to be that person who turns the other cheek because that feels like weakness. You don't want to be the only person in the world who forgives because then you become the powerless person in the world. It seems like in our world, the way to stay on top is by holding power, by holding things over people, by getting your way, by always winning. This forgiveness economy that Jesus paints here, it just seems like it's never going to work. And the question that, that I brought to this text this week as I studied it in this forgiveness series is, is why does Jesus' vision for forgiveness seem so unattainable? It's a beautiful concept. It just seems like it's never gonna work in real life. 70 times seven forgiveness. And I think there's a lot of easy answers, right? Sin hurts. It stinks when people wrong you. It's really hard when someone comes against you. Nobody wants to forgive naturally. Everything in us wants to fight back against people. It feels like this is never going to work and so we can forgive them one time, two times, three times maybe, but unlimited times, seven times, 77 times, 70 times, seven times, that's too much forgiveness it seems. I read a quote from a scholar named N.T. Wright that helped me this week that kind of hit me in the gut with where we're talking about here. It's this, we'll put it on the screen. It says, if you're still counting how many times you've forgiven someone, you're not forgiving at all. You're simply postponing revenge. (laughs) I think that what N.T. Wright is saying is like, listen, if somebody comes against you, like, hey, I forgive you once. Hey, I forgive you twice. I forgive you three times, four times, five times, then the fifth time you punch them in the face, right? You weren't really casting their sins away. You were holding them in your hand to throw back at them later. Real forgiveness, according to Jesus and this parable, is when they sin against you, you throw it away, right? You get rid of it. It's gone forever. If they sin against you the seventh time, it's almost like you don't remember the first six because they're gone. So you can't let it stack up because love keeps no records, of wrongs. N.T. Wright says, if, if you're keeping records of wrongs, that's not what Jesus is talking about when he's saying forgive. Because God is not someone who is stingy, like Randy said, with forgiveness. He's someone who is generous with forgiveness. So the question for us today is this, how can we become as generous with forgiveness as God is? How can we step into generous forgiveness? So to do that, we'll look at Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. 
I'm gonna give you the context of this parable. I'm gonna give you the main point of this parable. And then we're gonna wrestle with what's real hard about this parable. So we're just gonna kind of keep turning up the burner until we all wanna sweat and leave. That's what we're gonna do today. And then hopefully there's freedom and there's beauty at the end. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing to write down from this parable. This is the context. You need to understand this. Forgiveness is a strategy to cover an unpayable debt. Forgiveness is a debt repayment strategy. And here's some context. Imagine that you racked up a ton of medical bills. You got, you know, an MRI or a teeth cleaning, right? Everything's expensive these days. You got on an ambulance ride or you have a surgery or you go through cancer treatment and then you get this bill from the hospital for some insurmountable sum of money, right? $200,000, $500,000. I had a friend who I think racked up $2 million in cancer treatments by the age of 17, right? An unpayable debt and you get this bill and you think, well, what am I gonna do with this? Right? What you want to do is just write a check and be done, right? But you're not going to write a check for $500,000 and be done, right? So instead, you call the hospital and you say, listen, I, I can't pay this. What do you want me to do? And the hospital's going to give you some sort of strategy to, to take care of your debt, right? Most likely, they'll start with a payment plan strategy. Hey, what if instead of $500,000 right now, you just pay like $50,000 a month for the next 10 months, right? <laughs> yeah, still not going to work. Other times, they take the debt collection strategy. This is kind of the debtor's prison strategy from this parable. They say, you know what? No problem. We'll just hand it over to an agency, and they're going to come to your house and shake you down and take all your money, and then we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, right? That's a debt collection strategy. Uh, you can call, and they can do partial debt forgiveness. So you know what? Uh, there's a parable about this in the New Testament, too. You know what? You owe me $500,000. let us just call it $200,000. you are like, oh, great. Wonderful, right? That's a strategy to cover an unpayable debt. There's one strategy that all of us pray for and none of us really ever get. And if you did get it, you'd be ecstatic, you'd tell all your friends. And that is the total debt forgiveness strategy, right? This is what you're praying as you call the hospital. I know I owe you 500,000. What if instead I paid you nothing, right? (laughs) And you always hear these stories once in a blue moon that the hospital says, you know what? Let's just call it even. Time served, right? You're done. It's over. Your debt is forgiven. Now, this is the context of this parable, that forgiveness is a strategy to cover an unpayable debt. The man who comes before the king, this is a servant, comes before the king with an unpayable debt in verse 24. It says, as the king began the settlement with all the people in his society, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. I don't know how many bags of gold you brought to church today, but it's probably not 10,000. I don't know how many bags of gold you have stashed in your house, but it's probably not 10,000. The point is, not to do math, the point is an unpayable debt. Now, if you want to do the math, you could kind of come up with $4 trillion or maybe $400 trillion. Like, that's the type of debt. This is more debt than Jeff Bezos could pay off. You know how much $4 trillion is? The... The IRS collects from all the American people almost $4 trillion in taxes every year, right? So this guy mowed more in debt to the king than the entire country pays annually in all of their taxes. So think about how much taxes you pay, and then look back at me again, don't get mad. Think about all the taxes you pay, multiply it by every person in our society, that's less than what this one guy owed the king. It was an unpayable debt. So he comes before the king. And at first, he, the king brings the debt collection strategy, right? He's like, all right, well, 
pay me what you owe me. The guy's like, I don't have it. And so I was like, well, maybe you can go to jail and we'll sell your family and see what we can get, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. Give me more time, right? I can come up with a couple trillion this weekend, right? Give me more time. And so the king, in his graciousness and mercy, decides that now it's once in a blue moon, he's going to enact the total debt forgiveness strategy on this multi-trillion dollar debt. We see this in the text in verse 27. It says, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Let him go. As we're looking at the context of this parable, I don't think we can get beyond this moment before we say this, this parable is supposed to remind you of the gospel. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to remind you of the moment that the king of kings wants to settle accounts with his servants, the human race. Someday we're gonna stand before the king and in that moment, we are going to realize that we have an unpayable debt to the God of the universe. Now, we've sinned against him greatly. We have not given him glory. We've lived lives for our own volition. We've turned our back at him on every turn. We have not loved our neighbor. We have not promoted justice in the world. We have not been forgiving people. We haven't done anything right, it seems. And now we're standing before the king, not with a $5,000 debt, not with a $500,000 debt, but with an unpayable debt before the king of the universe. And we want to say, God, just give me more time and I'll live a better life, right? But that doesn't work. And so what the king should rightfully do to us is he should throw us in a debtor's prison. This is a place the Bible calls hell, right? That he should put us into hell where we are tormented as a payment, a suffering for the debt that we've accumulated. But those of us who know Jesus, before we got to that moment, came before him and said, God, please, I'm so sorry, have mercy on us. And the king of kings looked down upon us at our insurmountable debt and said, you know what? It's forgiven. You owe nothing. Your debt is paid in full. Paid in full is, is because the king of kings did not just decide he didn't want your money or whatever. The king says, you know what, actually my son paid your account. His death on the cross is for the forgiveness of your sin. He suffered so that you won't have to. He went to debtor's prison so that you don't have to go there. And if you have a relationship with him, your debt, it's taken care of. The king of kings has executed the total forgiveness strategy as his strategy to cover your unpayable debt. That's the context of this passage. As well, should be thinking about as we're reading this story, like, oh, I've heard this story before. It's talking about me and my relationship to my king. It's the context of the parable. It's not the point of the parable. And if you want to learn a little something, I'll give you a little bonus teaching today on parables. If you want to understand how to understand parables, usually you can find the main point of the parable hidden somewhere around the emotional gut punch in the parable. Right? So in the Good Samaritan story, for example, there's a, a story about a man who's beaten up, left for dead, and all the religious folks refuse to help him. And then Jesus says this. He says, and a Samaritan, and all the Jewish people listening would be like, <gasps> yes, a Samaritan. And again, <gasps> right? had compassion on him, they're like, no, right? They hated the Samaritans. There's this emotional moment that hidden in the compassion of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, is the point of the parable. 
So even though this parable should remind us of us before God, the emotional moment in this parable doesn't come until right after the man's debt is forgiven. It comes in verse 28. This is when all of us would start throwing tomatoes at the screen. It says that he canceled the debt, he let him go, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, a payable debt. He, this is crazy. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. Like this is the point of the parable that all of us are like, it's a train wreck moment, right? You heard Randy read it. He's like, pay me back what you owe me, right? It's like Randy got it. Like this guy is such a terrible human being, right? And in that emotional moment lies the point that Jesus is gonna start to make as he continues to walk through this parable. This is point number two, you can write this down. God's unlimited forgiveness toward you should result in your unlimited forgiveness towards others. That's the point of the parable. That word should is a big word, circle that word should. God's total forgiveness towards you should result in your unlimited forgiveness toward others, right? You might be starting to push back, be like, wait, no, 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 that's not how it works, right? I own a business. If somebody forgave my debts, I still gotta collect all the bills that are owed against me. That's not how it works. Okay, hold on, hold on. A little context for this parable. A lot of scholars believe that the most likely scenario that was going on in this parable was that the king was the king and the servant was someone called a tax farmer, kind of like an IRS agent or the commissioner of the IRS, that kind of thing. That servant's job is to go out throughout the countryside and collect all the taxes that were owed to the king. Right, this kind of makes sense. Remember the IRS collects about $4 trillion a year. This guy owed like $4 trillion to the king. It's a large sum of money that would be really hard for one person on their own to rack up that level of debt. So most likely, this servant has holding the debt of the entire society and his job was to come to the king and say, here are the taxes for this year. And the king says, hey, where are the taxes? And he's like, I don't have them. Can you imagine that? Right, the, the commissioner of the IRS goes to the secretary of finance or whoever it is and says, hey, I forgot to collect the taxes, my bad. Right? And the people are rejoicing, right? It doesn't end well for the commissioner of the IRS. So this guy's a tax farmer. He comes before the king and he's like, just give me more time. I'll go, I'll get all the money from all the people. I'll collect the taxes. And the king says, you know what? Forget about it. Let's consider it paid in full. You don't owe me anything. It's over. To tell us die, right? It's paid for. It's finished. That's an amazing moment. But that's a moment that informs our emotion when he's choking out his fellow servant because when he's saying, give me back the money you owe me, he's lying. Because the guy doesn't owe him any money anymore. The king just forgave all of the debt burden of society. So, so he should have left the throne room and been like, guys, guys, great news. You know how I keep loan sharking y'all? 
It's over, the king just said, I don't owe him any money, so you don't owe me money, tell your people they don't owe you money. It's like the best reverse pyramid scheme of all time, right? All debts have been canceled, go tell the world, right? This is what the gospel's supposed to do. Tell the whole world, forgiveness has come, it's flowing from the hills, no more debt, it's all forgiven. This man was supposed to leave the throne room with a list full of people that he got to share the good news of forgiveness with. But instead, he looked at the list and he decided he was gonna get that money back. It doesn't even make sense. Unlimited forgiveness for us should mean unlimited forgiveness from us. If I want to make it personal for a second, here's the question to wrestle with this week. Are are you generous with forgiveness? Sometimes we treat forgiveness like it's a currency we don't have that much of, like money, right? And we're these like venture capitalists or these investors who have like a limited forgiveness budget. We're trying to wonder, we're trying to worry about who deserves to get a little bit of our forgiveness, right? Someone comes, they sin against us. They're like, what do you want forgiveness? Hold on. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, if I give you this forgiveness money, I might not have enough for the next guy. And honestly, like, you've done this before. I feel like I'm just throwing this money in a pit at this point. Like, this is not a good forgiveness investment. Like, maybe ask me again next year. Maybe if I have a windfall, I'll change my mind, right? We're stingy with forgiveness. And Jesus teaches this parable to say, no, no, that's not how we should be. We should just be like, free forgiveness money. Who wants it, right? It's like stimulus payments. Like, come and get it, right? It's not a political statement. I don't, I don't know what you think about the tax system or the IRS or stimulus payments. It's all an example. We should be generous with forgiveness. Are you? I can tell you one guy who's not. It's this guy. <laughs> Began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The question that that deserves exploration is is this, why is he choking the guy if he doesn't owe the king any money? Why is he choking this guy out? Why is he trying to break his kneecaps? Why is he doing this? He doesn't have to. I got a small group of pastors, ministry leaders together this week and we started talking about this question. Like, why, why is it? Jesus doesn't tell us why. And this is supposed to relate to real life though, so why do we, why is this guy, what are the options, right? We came up with four options. You don't have to write these down, I won't put them on the screen, but four options of why this guy could be choking his friend at this point, right? Number one, maybe it's a fear thing, right? Total debt forgiveness seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Let's give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he left the throne room of the king and he's like, okay, I dodged a bullet, but at some point that king is gonna come to his senses, he's gonna want his money back, right? So I gotta hustle, I gotta get all this money (sighs) because if the king changes his mind, I'm in hot water. I'm not gonna make this mistake again. Maybe he's scared of the king. There's actually a number of parables in the New Testament that talk about people's view towards the king as I know you're always changing your mind and sometimes you're mad and you're a harsh man and Jesus is like, what are you talking about, right? There's this view that we might have of God That when we hear a message like the gospel that's too good to be true, we're like, I don't know, maybe I should hedge my bets. 
You ever had that happen in your life? You sin a number of times and you're like, okay, I know the gospel says I'm forgiven, but at some point God could totally like stop, right? <laughs> like at some point you might go in prayer and say, God, please forgive me. He's like, you know what? Remember I said 70 times seven times? This is actually the, the 71st times seven times. You're done, right? You're out, you're cut off. You've ever wondered that, God, how come you keep forgiving me? Like, I, I hope the faucet doesn't shut off at some point. Like, I don't deserve this forgiveness. And there's this fear. Sometimes we try to live good lives because we're scared if the forgiveness thing is too good to be true, at least we'll have a track record we could bring before the Lord, right? That's, that's not true. The gospel says you are totally forgiven, but some of us are powered by fear. And so our relationship to forgiveness vertically or even our relationship to forgiveness horizontally can be affected if we do not truly believe that we are unmistakably forever completely forgiven of all of our debts. I had to believe the gospel. It's fear. The second thing, maybe it was habit. You know, get another, give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Why is he choking a guy out? Because it's Tuesday. That's what he does on Tuesdays, right? That's his job. He leaves the throne room, he gets back to work. All right. Right? It's the habit of living the life that he's always lived. This, this beautiful forgiveness made sense to him but hasn't trickled into his everyday actions yet. And this could be our issue. Right? We have this habit of unforgiveness. We have the habit of grudge holding, this habit of bitterness, this habit of talking about people behind their backs. We don't have a habit of forgiveness. It's not in us, it's not natural. So sometimes we have to force the gospel in our head, in our hearts, and in our vertical relationship with God to trickle into the habits of real life in our horizontal relationships. And we have to build new habits of forgiveness because habit changing is very, very hard to start walking in forgiveness, forcing ourselves to forgive because it doesn't always come naturally. That's the first two. The last two don't give him the benefit of the doubt, right? The third one, maybe he's angry. He was mortified. He just stood before the king and he just almost got thrown into prison, right? He could be walking out of that throne room saying, that's never gonna happen to me again. I'm never gonna let these people mortify me again when they refuse to pay me. I'm gonna turn up the harshness scale. I'm gonna come harder at these people. I'm gonna get my money this time because next time I'm gonna pay that king back. The anger could have made him so that he would not forgive. I'm not saying that you wouldn't forgive someone just because you were so angry. But consider for a moment that maybe one of the biggest reasons that you refuse to forgive is because you are so angry. And we're going to talk about this next week, Jonah 4. Is it right to be angry? How do we get rid of that bitterness? How do we become so humbled by the grace and mercy of God that the anger towards humans disappears? Maybe he was angry. And finally, maybe he was greedy. Maybe he realized now that he doesn't owe any money upstream anymore, everything he collects is his. Any money he collects goes straight into his pocket. He could build his own kingdom. He can build his own empire. He can run this world because now there's $4 trillion that nobody above him wants. And so if he can collect it, it's his. Can you imagine if you were the commissioner of the IRS and the president or whoever said, you know what, don't worry about the taxes. You're like, I'm still gonna get the taxes and I'm gonna start my own country, right? He's greedy. All right, sometimes the reason we don't forgive is because we're greedy. We're greedy for power. We love the dynamic uh, you owe me forgiveness, or I owe you forgiveness, you owe me this sin debt, you know what? Instead, let's just play this little passive-aggressive game where I remind you all the time that you're indebted to me. I like this game. And let me just remind you what you did to me last year. 
Let, let me just remind you how many times I've forgiven you before we start talking about blah, 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 right? I like the power dynamic that I've afforded by holding this grudge over your head. Because if I forgive you, we're equals again. And the power dynamic shifts back to neutral. Well, these are four reasons this guy may have not forgiven. I don't know why you or why I don't forgive. Like I said, this is the introspective part of the sermon. This guy refuses to forgive. And, and all the other servants in the community saw how messed up it was. Now, this is a good reminder that when you refuse to forgive and you're a Christian, everyone's gonna point at you and call you a hypocrite. Remember that, right? Because even non-believers understand what the gospel says about forgiveness, and when they see you holding on to grudges, like, don't you believe that whole forgiveness and Jesus stuff, right? Like, I'm so mad. So everybody else notices, he doesn't notice, and this is what it says. The people told on him, they narked, that's not point number three, that you should go tell on people who don't forgive, but you can try it. And then the master calls the servant back in. He, he calls him out. He gives him the point of the parable. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then in verse 34, it says, in anger, his master, the king, God, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owes. And then Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive one another from the heart. Oh, thanks. Now, this is one of those passages you read it, you're like, whoa, what? what? I thought we were totally and completely forgiven. I thought we, hell was not like on the table anymore. Is it true what Jesus says that if you do not forgive others, my heavenly father will not forgive you? Isn't that contrary to the whole gospel thing? And it is contrary to the whole gospel thing. And I think we need to understand the sentiment at the end of the parable in light of the meaning of the parable that Jesus even embeds right here. Shouldn't you have had mercy? I don't think Jesus is ending this parable by changing the way that God relates with humankind. By saying, hey, I know I told you that forgiveness is free and for you and for every time, but you know what? Actually, if you don't forgive, I'm gonna send you to hell. I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to say here. I think Jesus is trying to leave us with a question as we walk away from this fictional story about debt and forgiveness. We'll put the, the question on the screen for you here. It's a would you rather question. Would you rather live in a world where everyone gets what they deserve or a world of generous forgiveness? Which world would you rather live in? You wanna live in that world where if you sin, you get punished? You wanna live in that world where others sin against you and get punished, and if you sin against God and get punished, and they go to hell if they sin, and you go to hell. You want to live in that world? Or would you rather live in the world where forgiveness reigns and rules? Which world would you rather live in? This evil servant decided, you know what, I love this generosity thing, but I prefer the world where we all get what we're due. And God comes to him and says, okay, uh, here's what you're due. Jesus says, I, I tell you this parable because God wants to create a new type of world where forgiveness reigns, where debts are paid by Christ, where you let people off the hook because you have been let off the hook first. You know, we wonder, how, how do we do this, right? How do I step into this world of generous forgiveness and total debt forgiveness of other people? Here, here's the... Uh, 
here's that practical application you could bring into your life this week. It's forgiveness of others is simply applying the gospel you've received to somebody else. That's all it is. I'll unpack that, but remember this. Forgiving others is simply applying the gospel that you've received to someone else. You remember when you first became a Christian and you were like blown away at how your sins were just forgiven by God and Jesus paid for them and you're like, how is this even possible? And you kind of walked out of the room or you got up off your knees in prayer, whatever it was. You're like, this is amazing. This is too good to be true. I'll never sin again. Spoiler alert. Then you sinned again and you're like, oh no. Oh no, I gotta start over, right? God, please come into my life, forgive my sins, make me a Christian, right? Okay, this time I got it. I got it this time, right? You sinned again. And then at some point, this happens to most of us, you were like three months in or a year in and you were in your small group and you explained how you would actually become a Christian 45 times this year. And someone in your small group's like, hey, did you know that's not how it works? Like, no, 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 I sinned, but I sinned again and so then I gotta get a, become a Christian again. They're like, no, 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 no. All your sins are forgiven, all of them. Like, well, that doesn't even make sense. It's like, I know, it's crazy, right? All your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. You're like, well, what do I do if I sin? Like, oh, you just bring it to the Lord. Right? First John 1 John 1.9, right? That's 911 backwards. 119. 1 John 1.9. Confess your sins. Call 911. He's faithful and just. He'll forgive your sins. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just bring them to the Lord. And you started this process in your life as a Christian where you realized every time you sin, you've got this burden that you're carrying, and God wants you to take it to him and let him take it away. And at first you were real slow about it because you felt like you had to prove to him you were better. He's like, no, just give it to me. And eventually you got to a place that you started feeling less guilty about bringing your sins to God and watching him throw it away. It became kind of fun in a sense of like, this is amazing. I sinned and then I quickly go to God and it's gone and I get a new start right now. Every time it was beautiful. And you started to build this muscle memory of what it feels like to have short accounts with God because you know he always forgives. And creating a culture of generous forgiveness is simply learning how to apply that same muscle that you've used vertically, horizontally. When someone sins against you and it feels like a gut punch, like, oh, what do I do with this? You actually know what to do with this. You've been doing it with your own sin for years. You go and you take it to God and you say, hey, this person did this to me. Can you take this too? God's like, yeah, they're all forgiven. Here, and it's gone. And then boom, somebody punches you in the face. You're like, ah. Oh. I know where this goes, right? <laughs> you go back, hey God, my friend just, I feel like just sucker punched me. God's like, I got it, takes it away. It's paid for, it's forgiven, it's forgiven, it's forgiven, it's forgiven. You know how much easier hard conversations are when the forgiveness has already been done? When somebody hurts you and you go to the Lord and God takes their sin away, you're like, oh my gosh, it's, there's nothing between us anymore. And then you go back and say, hey, I need to have a hard conversation with you. It's forgiven, God took it, he paid for all your sins and mine, but man, what you did last week really hurt me. It's a different conversation than when you're still holding the weight or holding your black eye or whatever and trying to have that conversation. Forgiveness is just applying the gospel to someone else. You're like, that's not fair. God forgave your sins, he didn't forgive their sins. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says in this parable that the forgiveness from the king unleashes a chain reaction of forgiveness that will cancel debt down the line. Not because God is soft on sin, but because Jesus paid it all. You know, 
I want you to, to take some time and read this parable for yourself this week. Do that introspective work. But as you read it, keep in mind that when it comes to this story, you are not the king. Your job is not to decide who gets thrown into debtor's prison or not. That's not your job. That's not my job. We are not the king. We instead are servants of the king with an unlimited forgiveness budget. And Jesus has commissioned us to go out and spend his forgiveness liberally and generously because there's always more to come. I wanna pray for us. I know we're all dealing with different things in the midst of all this, but I wanna pray for us as a community and then we'll respond in song together. Let's pray.